Pilgrim's Progress. We take up the reading again of these our pilgrims in their journey. They are in this enchanted ground. And he picks up today's reading and says, Then they went on in this enchanted ground till they came to where there was another arbor, and it was built by the highway side. And in that arbor there lay two men whose names were Heedless and Too Bold. Now remember, they're on this path. It is dark. There is, it's almost impossible to see. The ground is rough. It's a terrible, terrible place. And it's hard to go. It's hard to walk. It's hard to move. You can't see. They're following voice commands from, uh, from their, from great heart and value for truth. And they're having to listen and struggle. And this is a, this is a terrible, Difficult place they're, they're walking. And so when they come across these arbors, these arbors are a place of rest, wonderful place, uh, and very tempting, very tempting for the, uh, very tempting for the, uh, the pilgrims to turn aside into these arbors. But those are traps. Those are not the places they need to be, they need to be moving forward in the in their pilgrimage. But this particular arbor that they come to, there are two men who have already pulled off into this arbor to rest, and their names are Heedless and Too Bold. These two went thus far on pilgrimage. They've come this far. But here, being wearied with their journey, sat down to rest themselves, and so fell asleep. When the pilgrims saw them, they stood still and shook their heads, for they knew that the sleepers were in a pitiful case. Then they consulted what to do, whether to go on and leave them in their sleep, or step to them, and try to awake them. <laughs> I want to pause right there. We do from time to time in this study. Pause and just throw out some question for discussion. When they saw these two pilgrims, then they fell into a discussion whether they should go on or whether they should try to wake them. Why is that such a question? Why was that such a quandary? Why should that be a question? Any thoughts? There is no right or wrong answer here. I'm just trying to stimulate your thinking. Why was that a question at all? Now, some of you may have one opinion and some may have another here, even in this congregation. 
But that would only illustrate the validity of my question. Why? Why is there a question about this? So you would say that you would be defending the position that they ought not speak to them. So then if you had written this allegory, you wouldn't have written the next sentence. Yours would have gone in a different direction. The next sentence where he says, so they concluded to go to them and try to wake them. You would have said they concluded that they should leave them alone. <laughs> and that is truly one aspect of it, yes. Uh huh. And what I hope to do by this discussion is just bring out and, and emphasize the fact that there are, there are multiple considerations here. <clears throat> and uh, this picture in this allegory <clears throat> is not unlike our own situations, our own selves. 
Are we not sometimes individually ourselves? Do we not look see other folks, and we are sometimes in a quandary? Should we say something, or should we not? Uh, what's to be had if we do? What's to be had if we don't? <clears throat> there is often in our own experience this same quandary. What ought we to do? Should we say something? Should we go to them? Should we leave it? I mean, it's a very real, this is not, this is not just, you know, pie in the sky theory, theorizing here. This is a very real situation. And we face it ourselves among, especially, uh, in, in the congregation of believers. And, uh, maybe within our own families, extended families. We face this question. We're sometimes put into a quandary. <laughs> should we say or should we not? It's a very real situation is what I'm trying to impress on your heart. This is not just stuff for story writing. I mean, this is very real experience here. <clears throat> and we are sometimes put in a quandary. <clears throat> well, here's how <clears throat> Bunyan resolved it. The next sentence. So they concluded to go to them and try to awake them. Now, personally, I mean, not that it matters, but just my own view, I think that was, I think that was the right conclusion. I think the right thing and the needful thing for us when we face these quandaries is to, to conclude that yes, we, we ought to try what we can to help them. See if we can help them, at least try. So they concluded to, to try to wake them. That is, if they could. But with this caution, with this caution, namely, to take heed that they themselves did not sit down, nor embrace the offered benefit of that arbor. So if you're going to conclude that you should speak to the person, you should go forward. You, you, to, you have a responsibility to be sure that you're on foot, solid footing yourself, solid ground. That you're not going to be somehow dragged down by this encounter. Not going to be pulled away or in any way distracted from your own journey by this encounter with this person. So there was this one caution was put to them. They decide they'll go forward, but with this caution. Be sure that you're able to do this. So they went in, and they spake to the men, and called each by his name, for the guide, it seems, did know them. <laughs> well, of course he did. This is not his first journey. But there was no voice, nor answer. Then the guy did shake them and do what he could to disturb them. Then said one of them, I will pay you when I take my money. 
at which the God shook his head. I will fight so long as I can hold my sword in my hand, said the other. <laughs> at that, one of the children laughed. Because clearly they're talking in their sleep. What they're saying makes absolutely no sense. It's, it's ludicrous. And even the children pick up on that. Not to make over much of Bunyan's writings. I know they're not inspired, but they're very nearly so. <laughs> That's been said by many others, not myself. But the truth is that a lot of times when we make the decision to address ourselves to someone after being a little bit conflicted as to whether we should or shouldn't, and then we decide, yes, we should, well, then we go forward and we do it. We often find, do we not, that their responses are frankly laughable. It's like they're talking in their sleep. What they're saying makes no sense. But there it is. That's what they're saying. And the children laughed. Then said Christiana, what is the meaning of this? The guide said, they talk in their sleep. If you strike them, beat them, Whatever else you do to them, they will answer you after this fashion. Or as one of them said in old time, when the waves of the sea did beat upon him and he slept as one upon the mast of a ship, when I wake, I will seek it again. <laughs> you know when men talk in their sleep, they say anything, but their words are not governed either by faith or reason. Well, we've seen that. I'm sure you, every one of you, saints, you've experienced that. You've spoken to someone that you know was asleep spiritually, wrong, messed up, in a bypass, bypass arbor somewhere, and you tried to speak to them, and then it was just foolishness. It's just, you're not even making sense. You're, it's absolutely foolishness. And Budget says this, this is what they'll do because they're asleep. You know when men talk in their sleep, they say anything. And their words are governed neither by faith nor reason. There is an incoherency in their words as there was before betwixt their going on pilgrimage and sitting down here. This then is the mischief of it. When heedless ones go on pilgrimage, tis twenty to one, but they are served thus. For this enchanted ground is one of the last refuges that the enemy to pilgrims has. Wherefore it is, as you see, placed almost at the end of the way, and so it standeth against us with the more advantage. For when, thinks the enemy, when will these fools be so desirous to sit down as when they are weary? 
And when so like to be weary, as when almost at their journey's end. Therefore it is, I say, that the enchanted ground is placed so nigh to the land of Beulah, and so near the end of their race. Wherefore let pilgrims look to themselves, lest it happen to them as it has done to these, that as you see are fallen asleep, and none can awake them. Bunyan points out that this enchanted ground in the timeline of his story, in the timeline of the pilgrimage, is very near the end. And he brings a warning from that. A warning from that. Because it is when pilgrims are weary and they've already traveled a long way that they may be inclined to become heedless and too bold. Scott has a wonderful note that I, I made a note to myself in the side margin here that this is, this is worthy of a whole sermon. Scott's comments on this text. He says, such men as take up a profession of the gospel, a profession of the gospel, in a heedless manner, and proceed with an overbearing confidence, the result of pride and ignorance, may long maintain a form of godliness, though it be a weariness to them. But after a time, they will be gradually drawn back into the world, retaining nothing of their religion, except certain distorted doctrinal notions. I have to tell you that when I read that sentence, I paused and contemplated for a while, and I conjured up in my mind the faces of many men that I know. Men that some of you know. Pastors that some of you knew for your whole life. Listen to the description of them. They took up a profession of the gospel in a heedless manner. In other words, they, they weren't hearing the whole gospel. <laughs> they weren't hearing the whole truth in a heedless manner. And then they proceed with an overbearing confidence. Hmm. The result of pride and ignorance. And they long time, and some of you can probably call the names of the men I have in mind, for a long time maintain a form of godliness even to the point that it was a weariness to them. But after a time, they gradually are drawn back into the world. 
retaining nothing of their religion except certain distorted doctrinal notions. <laughs> Lord have mercy. They find excuses for their conduct from false axioms and bad examples. They fall asleep in the arms of worldly prosperity. Nothing can awake them to fear or self-suspicion. But they will, as it were, talk in their sleep about religion in so incoherent a manner, manner as to excite the laughter of children while they who understand the case will bewail their deplorable delusion. Such awful examples should excite us to redoubled diligence, searching the scriptures and prayer, lest we too should be overcome with a destructive sleep and perish in this fascinating way. For scenes of worldly prosperity have detected the hypocrisy of many who have long persevered in an unsuspected profession amidst difficulties and trials. Hmm. My goodness, my goodness, what a comment, what a commentary. Let me share with you just some comments. I've me said, oh, what a sound sleep of infatuation hath this enchanting world cast many a professor into. They are proof against all warnings and dead as to any means of arousing them. When this sleep of death seizes the soul, it destroys faith, infatuates reason, and causes men to talk incoherently. They've lost the language of pilgrims. Their state is awful. Beware of it. Pray against it. First John 2.15 If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I have talked, by the way, I have personally talked with some men that most everybody in this room knows who are in this condition. And all they could say to me was foolish things. Sounded like somebody talking in their sleep. Heedless and too bold, says McGuire. These men are described as having thus far, thus far advanced upon their journey, but now at one of the latter stages they are overpowered, not by any direct assault of Satan but by the soft and indulgent spirit of slumber. Here Satan's power is strong and all the more insidious because it is unseen. It steals softly over the soul and sheds the sophoric dew upon the eyelids of the understanding, making us heavy with sleep and weary of the way. 
It is Satan's last hour in the power of darkness. So near the land of Beulah and yet asleep. But a single stage removed from the end of the journey. Almost. Almost. But not altogether saved. As Bunyan elsewhere speaks of King Agrippa. He said he stepped fair but stepped short. He was hot while he ran but he was quickly out of breath. This is a timely admonition to us all. Even to those that are farthest traveled on the road. That we be watchful to the end. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. He was hot while he ran. But he was soon out of breath. English had this to say. My, my, what a thing did English listen to this. He's quoting another author who said, Just as in winter, the cold may become so intense as to freeze the thermometer. And thereby to leave you without the means of marking the subsequent increase of cold. So there is a point in the lowered temperature of the inward consciousness when the growling, the growing coldness, hardness, selfishness of a man's nature can no longer be noted. The mechanism by which moral variations are determined have become themselves motionless. Boy, that was an amazing comparison. He compared this situation to a frozen thermometer. When it freezes, the temperature continues to drop and you don't know it because you can't read it because the thermometer is no longer responding. That can happen in a man's soul. The temperature drops until there's no more markers, but his heart continues to get colder, unseen and unmarked. Wow. What an interesting thing that is. White says this concerning these enchanted ground and these arbors. The first enchanted arbor that the pilgrims came to was built just inside the borders of the land and it is called the stranger's arbor. So many newcomers have lain down in in that one, never to rise again. The young and the inexperienced with those who were naturally of a believing, buoyant, easy mind lay down in the hundreds here. That is in that first enchanted arbor called the stranger's arbor. But then he says there's such a thing as a slothful man's arbor. It has already been described. 
It was a warm arbor, and it promised much refreshing to the pilgrims. It also had in it a soft couch in which the weary might lean. Let us lie down here and take one, just one nap. We'll be refreshed if we just take a nap. What is it to take a nap in our religion? Well, the New Testament is full of warnings to those who read it and go by it. Most solemn and most fearful warnings against sleeping. Now, have you any clear idea in your minds as to what this divinely denounced sleep is? Sleep, by the way, is good and necessary in our bodies, but sleep in the great exhortation passages of the Holy Scriptures does not mean rest and restoration. It means in all those passages, insensibility, stupidity, danger, and death. We sleep nightly, but we must not sleep in our souls. They talk in their sleep, the guide said, and so they did, and so do all men. For this whole world is full of settles on which men sleep and talk in their sleep. The newspapers tomorrow, White said, he's preaching, you understand now, these are lessons he brought to his church. He said the newspapers tomorrow morning will be full to overflowing of what men have said and written today and yesterday in their sleep. The shops and the banks and the exchanges will all be full of men making promises and settling accounts in their sleep. They will finger their purses and grasp their swords and all in their sleep. Not children but devils will laugh as they hear the folly that falls from men's lips who are besotted with spiritual sleep and drugged with spiritual and fleshly sin, a dream cometh through the multitude of business. White takes and compares this passage to all men that are in an unbelieving state, and he says they're all, they're all talking in their sleep. They print editorials in the newspaper and they're talking in their sleep. They conduct business and they're talking in their sleep. We got a world full, he said. We've got a world full of men talking in their sleep because they are not awake to the things of God. I close with the words of Oberton. He said the case of heedless and too bold is very affecting, full of instruction. Were these two men, after they appeared to have advanced so far, were they at length discovered fast bound in a fatal slumber? Oh, let us consider that no advances which we have made or appear to have made in religion can ever make it safe for us to dispense 
with watchfulness and prayer. No advances that we have made or appear to have made in religion can ever make it safe for us to dispense with watchfulness and prayer. Hmm. That's a good word to us that are older for sure. And he warns especially against prosperity. Oh, the deadening and infatuating effects of unsanctified prosperity. But those who once perhaps were deeply affected about eternal things have sunk into carnal security. How extremely difficult it is to arouse them out of their fatal slumber. Hmm. Well, quite a lesson today. Quite a lesson from heedless and too bold. Any further questions or comments or anyone like to enlarge on this passage today? Somewhat different name for it. He called it 
the thorny ground, where he said that the seed fell and it sprang up. Mm -hmm. Choked out. The cares of this world mm -hmm. and the deceitfulness of riches choked him mm -hmm. and became unprofitable. Mm. Mm. There was a warning, as Mr. Bunyan said, that they had come so far. They were nearly, nearly out of harm's way, nearly to Beulah. Only those who persevere will go in. <laughs> that old doctrine that blessed old doctrine dare I call it Baptist doctrine, Bible doctrine perseverance of the saints not the preservation of the saints which is the easy believism teaches that once saved always saved doctrine that means you can be once saved you're going to be saved no matter what What you, you, you can turn into a, a right royal devil but you're still saved if you ever got saved. No, that's not what the scripture teaches. It teaches a doctrine of preservation. The preservation of the sin. They will perpetuate that profession to the end. They will maintain their profession and their walk because it's real, because it was eternal life. And uh, perseverance of the saints is the doctrine that the scripture teaches and that Baptists always talk. The perseverance of the saints <laughs> to the very end. And that is a thing that the oldest of us is concerned with. Persevering to the end. Yes, there's an arbor for every stage in life. That's basically what Brother John is saying. There's ar there are there are arbors, plural. There are arbors for every stage of this pilgrimage, and not the least, as Bunyan has pointed out, at the very end of it. <laughs> the very end of it. There are arbors that would call us aside from the journey to sleep. I'm not talking about physically, I'm talking about spiritually. Yes, amen. All right, wonderful discussion. Let's pray together, please.